You're listening to the teachings at Agden Church, a group of real and relevant followers of Jesus. This message, Eyewitnesses to the Jesus Way, was given by Pastor John McGuire on Sunday, April 19th, 2015, and it's part four of the Eyewitness series. Thank you. I think the statistic would be a thousand million to one. Uh, that's how many, a thousand million is a billion. That's how many poor children there are in the world. And um, one is the chance of one of those thousand million kids being adopted by one of you. So actually, the statistic sounds like this, one to one, right? Either you're going to or you're not going to sponsor a child. (laughs) All right, you can all go home now. (laughs) Um, Let me tell you another statistic uh, that I found fascinating, 108 billion to one. Um, That's what we are made to believe or understand was the chances of Jesus rising from the dead. Um, In other words, one person, there's been 108, roughly 108 billion people who have lived, and we're supposed to believe that one person rose from the dead and is still alive. That's a chance of 108 billion to one. In other words, sometimes when we approach um, the resurrection, we approach it from a faith perspective. It's gonna, it takes a lot of faith to believe that you have a one in, out of 108 billion chance that this was true, except we use the same statistics. It's actually historical evidence approach says it's really only one to one is the actual, like he either rose from the dead or he didn't rise from the dead. Like, that's the only, like, it's not about 108 billion people who have risen. This is about whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. Over the last few weeks, we've been kind of talking through this approach, this um, minimal facts approach, this eyewitness approach. In other words, we have a lot of reason to believe that the resurrection was true. We have eyewitness testimony. Unlike uh, Alexander the Great, whose biography was written 300 years after he was born, or after he had lived on the earth, or, or George Washington chopping down the cherry tree, or other things that have been told us after the fact, way later. We have um, testimony, eyewitness testimony from people who would be hostile to the idea that Jesus rose from the dead, saying, yeah, we got to the tomb and there was nobody there. Like, we have all of this eyewitness testimony. You don't have to kind of wonder if this could be true. Uh, John... Warwick Montgomery says it this way, the only way we can know whether an event can occur is to see whether, in fact, it has occurred. The problem of miracles, then, must be solved in the realm of historical investigation, not in the realm of philosophical speculation. All this is really saying is, like, we want to kind of understand that Jesus rose from the dead in a philosophical kind of way. Uh, in a faith kind of way or in a spiritual kind of way. Oh, yeah, he rose from the dead because the Bible says so. Well, that's true. The Bible does say so. But I want you to understand there's eyewitness testimony. Like not just one person or two people. Like hundreds of people and thousands of people and ultimately millions of people. And right now, billions of people who understand this fact, this reality to be true. Now, we've been approaching it kind of in this 
eyewitness approach. A person who's personally seen something happen so they can give firsthand description. We have that. It's contained in the Bible, but it's also contained in historical record. So we understand this historical. What I want you to understand is that a lot of times when we read the Bible, we go, uh, by faith we believe that Jesus took five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000 men and women. But I want you to know that 5,000 people were eyewitness to this event. Like, I want you to know that not only did Jesus raise a man who had been dead for four days from the grave, there was a guy who was bound head to toe who came walking out of the grave who was an eyewitness. Like, these are not just kind of like stories, good stories like Aesop's fables that we can understand and know. These are eyewitness accounts that would easily be refuted. But they weren't. They were recognized as real, actual events that people experienced. So much so that this idea that he's this amazing, miracle-working God who can change water to wine and who can go into a storm and still the waves and who can take a person who's been blind since birth, fashion some um, mud eyeballs and stick them in his eyes and he can see and someone who has been lame all of their life and he helps them get to their feet and they walk off. Like that's miracle stuff. Well, these eyewitnesses saw Jesus do all of these things. So when Jesus was hanging on the cross, these eyewitnesses said, this isn't nothing. He's going to come down from there and he's going to just start blowing some people away. They really thought that he was just going to do something spectacular. He was going to call the angels in heaven and they would take over the Roman Empire for good. And the Jews would reign like the prophets had said that God would reign. But instead they see the Messiah, the miracle worker, this one die. Then they see him be buried. They see him actually be wrapped up, not breathe another breath, like be put into a tomb after his execution. They start this creed. They start speaking this creed as early as AD 33 when Jesus has uh, been crucified. And the creed sounds something like this, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried. So together they were saying this. We believe this. We've seen this. He was dead. The Roman soldiers made sure he was dead. We saw him be buried in a tomb. Jesus died for our sins according to scriptures that he was buried. Uh, Then the story goes on and says that they came on the morning of Sunday morning and they looked and the tomb was empty. Not just the friend's witness, not just the disciple's witness, but even the hostile witness of the soldiers who were sent to guard the tomb. They come back to the authorities and they say, no, the tomb's empty. Uh, the body's gone. We don't know what happened to it. Like all of these witnesses, they're saying, no, uh, he not only died and was buried, but that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And as if that wasn't enough of a miracle, this huge miracle, somebody coming back to life who had been dead, put in a tomb, wrapped in cloth, decoupaged, shut, unable to breathe, coming alive on the third day, he starts appearing to people. Like, first, just a couple of people. And then before long, even more people. Yeah, Jesus is alive. 
his greatest miracle yet. Some of you today need to understand that because Jesus rose from the dead, uh, there were those who thought that because his life was over, then the miracles were over. Uh, But he rose from the dead. And the miracles aren't over. Like some of you today need a miracle in your life. Like, wouldn't it be great if a living Lord existed instead of somebody just who you have philosoph- uh, you've used your philosophical knowledge on or you've used some kind of spiritual knowledge on? No, this is a living Lord. This is a living Jesus who today reigns on high, who's ready to intervene in your particular situation, who knows your situation better than you know your situation. The creed went on to say, and that he appeared to Cephas, which was just the Aramaic name for Peter, and then to the twelve. He was just saying, okay, so first he shows up, he rises from the dead, the tomb is empty. Um, He then shows up and he he is seen by Peter, and then he's seen by all of the twelve apostles. We have that account in uh, Matthew 28, 9. Uh, Jesus appears to these ladies outside in the garden, and he says, greeting, and... uh, They came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there you'll see me. Now I want you to see this phrase brothers because it's going to, it's going to have bearing on exactly what we understand about the next witnesses. Everywhere else, he says the 12, go tell the 12, I'll meet him in Galilee. But he says, go tell my brothers that I'll meet him. In other words, the area that he did all his ministry, ladies, I want you to go and tell everybody that I'm going to show up there. Well, you can imagine, all right? You can imagine if somebody invites you to a party. You know, the party where the guy who has been put to death is going to show up. That's a good party to go to, yes? So, uh, so literally, he tells them, this is the instruction I want you to give. Don't just tell the disciples, get my brothers there. Whose brothers? Jesus' brothers. His own personal stepbrothers. Get them there. Get everybody who I ever said anything to. Get them there. Have them, have them show up on the mountain, and I'll be there to show up. Well, that's kind of cool promise. This is the only record that we really have of this account where Jesus appears to more than 500 people at a time is in this point in Galilee. Well, so later in the chapter, it says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Now, that doesn't eliminate all those other people. It's just saying that the 11 disciples all were part of this group, okay? They're at the... They went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Some of the 11 doubted? No, we already know that the one who had doubted came back and believed. So who is it that's doubting? It's all these other people. All right? It's Jesus' brothers. Wow, I wish I had followed him when he was alive. And Jesus shows up. Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Well, the eyewitness creed continues on and it says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried, that he was buried. And that he rose again according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and the twelve After that, he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Okay, so let's say you're an eyewitness. If I have two of you who are eyewitnesses, everyone here can kind of go, eh, they could, they might have seen something. But if all 500 of the people start saying, oh, no, you got to, like he was there, 
Like it was Jesus, the same one who just had preached the Sermon on the Mount to us just a few months earlier. It was that Jesus. It was that Jesus. Uh, I recognized his voice. I saw his hands. He showed us his hands and his feet. He was right there, 500 people now, men and women from the Galilee region. And some of those men and women, Jesus' own brothers and sisters. He appeared to over 500. Acts 1.3 starts out by saying, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, many proofs. We only have five of the stories of after his resurrection in particular. He was showing up all over the place. I don't know if James, his brother's like making breakfast one morning, you know, uh, and Jesus just steps in the room. Hey, what you making? And he's like, what? You're, they said you were dead. Like, we don't know the proofs. We don't know the stories. We're not told all the stories. But we know that by many proofs, appearing to them during these 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God, he just kept telling them, no, this is how it was supposed to be. This was the plan all along. This is not something new. It it is that Messiah would come. He would suffer and he would die. And someday he would reign. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is good stuff. He's just saying, stick around, guys, because the miracle way, the Jesus way, is not going away. The Jesus way is only beginning. Intermission. Halftime. Wait till you see how the rest of the show goes. The Jesus way is this way of miracles, is this explosive power of God through his one and only son, Jesus. The Jesus way is not just the cross. It's the resurrection. It's a live Jesus. It's not just a sacrifice, but it's a lamb that crawls back out, having been cut up and put to death. It's a lamb who's alive. So, When they came together, they asked him, Lord, so are you going to restore the kingdom now? Are you going to take your throne now? Perfect time to restore the kingdom. Perfect time to step forward. You just rose from the dead. You have at least 500 that are going to kind of say, no, 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 he he was dead. You have Roman soldiers who um, stand the chance of being executed if they don't prove that he really did that they really did put him to death. You have all of these eyewitnesses that you will have to fight. It's the perfect time to take the throne. It's the perfect time to say, I'm bigger than the Roman Empire. I am the son of God. And he says, it's not for you to know when that happens. But you're going to receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit will come on you and you will be my eyewitnesses. First in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. That would be America. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And they're probably going, wait, like really? He's floating up into heaven and um, then two men dressed in white are standing next to him and they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? 
This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Again, multiple people gathered around looking up, seeing something. Eyewitnesses of Jesus leaving. Angels coming and saying, just like he went, he's coming back. And he's coming back for you in the same way that you saw him go. So they all go back. Yeah, it's okay. You can clap. Uh, it's a Jesus clap, right? So anyway, so, so they go back to the upper room and they're just waiting. And really, they're only waiting for a few days, 10 days. Uh, they're waiting up here, waiting for what it is that it's going to happen. And Acts chapter 2 says exactly what happens. Well, the creed says, after he appeared to 500 brothers and sisters at one time, after that he appeared to James, James the brother of Jesus, and then to all the apostles. Here's what the record records. Oh, I'm sorry, I need to go back one. Okay, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. They all together joined constantly in prayer along with the women. And there she is, Mary, the mother of Jesus. All of a sudden, Jesus' mother says, oh no, he rose from the dead. He is my Lord. That's my son. He rose from the dead. He is the son of God along with his brothers, which we find out that James, one of Jesus' brothers, becomes the leader in the Jerusalem church. And we find out another one of Jesus' brothers, Jude or Judas, Uh, Not the Judas that was Judas Iscariot, but Jude also becomes a follower of Jesus. And he ends up writing the book of Jude that we have here in the Bible. And you know how the book of Jude starts? It says, I'm Jude, the brother of James, the servant of Jesus Christ. (laughs) He gets it. He understands. He has come. He's been an eyewitness. He grew up with him. He saw him. He saw him do the miracles. And he still wouldn't believe. But then when he rose from the dead, Jude says, oh boy. Maybe he is everything that he said he was. Maybe he is the Son of God. Well, the eyewitness creed that we find written in 1 Corinthians 15, but was started to be spoken in 33, was that Christ died for his sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried and that he rose again, and that he appeared to Peter and to the Twelve, and that he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul even goes on to say, And most of those people are still living today. If you want to go look them up, I'll give you their address. After that, he appeared to James, the brother of Jesus, and then to all the apostles. So I was telling you about this. They were in the upper room then, and they're waiting for this promise, the promise of the Holy Spirit coming. I'm not sure you guys are ready for this. (laughs) No, I just think this this is this moment where you have to realize that You know, like this wasn't just a Messiah movement. This was a resurrection movement. Like you have to understand that Jesus is all about the resurrection. He's all about the life that was, the life that was put to death, and the new life that comes. That's what the whole story of the gospel is. Like whatever you're going through, that's the life that is. Now enter in, commit it to Jesus, surrender to Jesus, and find out what the life that is is about to happen. It's called new life. And everything you're about to see together, that we're about to see together, is an example of what that life looks like. So the day of Pentecost arrives, they're all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. 
It filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the coming under of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus had already breathed on the 12, but now the Holy Spirit's coming on the group of people that are gathered there. And they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Something strange was happening. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitudes came together. They were bewildered. They heard this kind of rushing wind and they saw that it shook the second floor of that, of that building. And they kind of all rushed around to say, what's going on? What happened? Must have sounded like a rocket kind of coming and hitting. Like whatever the sound was, they all started coming. And it says they, they had come there for the Pentecost and for uh, the Passover from every nation, from Spain and from Cyrene and Nigeria and as far away as Arabia and as far away as, um, as Syria and as far away as Greece and as far away as Rome. And they had come to this place. And all of a sudden, when the Spirit comes on all of these people who are gathered, they step outside to kind of say, it's okay for the crowds that have come to, to see what had happened. And all of a sudden, someone who's never taken a Spanish class in their life is speaking Spanish. That's what this next part says. Literally, the Spirit had so come on some of these people that they began to speak in a language that they'd never spoken before. And it was heard clearly by the people hearing this. This is, this is a miracle. Have you ever taken a foreign language class? It's a miracle. <laughs> At this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own language. They were amazed. They were astonished. Aren't these guys from Galilee? How is it that we hear them in our language? They're speaking an African dialect. What? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what in the world? What's this mean? But others mocked and said they're filled with new wine. They'd never heard Spanish before. They're like, what? Those aren't even words. So Peter, standing with the 11 apostles, and of course everyone else who was up there in the upper room, he lifts up his voice and he dresses them. And he says, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people aren't drunk. Since it's only the third hour, it's only 9 a.m. No one gets this drunk that early. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. He said, uh, uh, 700 years ago, the prophet Joel said this was going to happen. Here's what the prophet Joel said. In the last days, it'll be that God declares he'll pour out his spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters, they'll prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Oh, he's, he's just saying, oh, it just, it's happening. Like the miracle, Jesus is gone, but it's happening. The miracle is continuing. The Jesus way will continue. Came to pass that everyone, they said, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
He just makes this promise to all of them in their own languages. They're hearing this. If you'll call in the name of the Lord, you too can be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. He's saying, you saw him. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This was his plan all along. You crucified, you killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held. You don't believe me? Look at David. He wrote this a thousand years ago. He said that he won't let the Holy One see corruption. He will not abandon his soul to hell. He's going to raise his son, the Holy One, up. He said, David said it a thousand years ago. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and he was buried. David died. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he, was not, he would not abandon to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up. I'm telling you, it's the resurrection. The resurrection is the story, okay? Like a lot of churches, a lot of things we've been, we, we celebrate the cross. The cross is the, the instrument by which Jesus was crucified. His death paid for our sins. But understand this, this is a resurrection, mo- this is a resurrection movement. It's the fact that Jesus rose from the dead that makes it understandable and um, makes us be able to, to see that that sacrifice was acceptable to God. God raised him up. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having perceived from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out that, this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And then he just says, David told you a thousand years ago that my Lord would sit Next to the Lord. Let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus who you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what do we do? Great question. All right. In other words, when you come face to face with a living Lord, one that came back to life, having been crucified and put to death. When you come face to face with a living Lord, you have to say, what do I do? To which Peter replies, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all of those in 2015. Everyone who the Lord our God calls to himself and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. He just said, here's what you got to do. You got to get repentance and forgiveness from your sins. And then you need to identify with Jesus, with this resurrection that we're talking about. You need to get baptized. Well, here's what happens. I just want to let you know that this Jesus way isn't kind of like slowing down. This Jesus way is ramping up. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Oh. So in Jewish uh, tradition, in the Jewish 
ritual, uh, there's this ritual that's called mikvah. It's immersion. It literally was uh, somebody who had touched a dead body. They were to be baptized. They were to be, to be immersed. They were to be taken under the water in order to have everything cleansed away, to take their uncleanness away. Even to this day, if you're in Jewish culture um, and you want to, or you're not in Jewish culture, but you want to convert, convert to Judaism, you will be baptized. So when Peter declares, repent and be baptized, he's just saying this, understand that your sinful people who desperately need to be forgiven from your sin. And so identify with Jesus in his death and his burial and in his resurrection. That's how important, again, the resurrection was. It's the baptism. It was to identify baptism. And so um, why did the eyewitnesses baptize those who repented? Here's a few reasons. To be identified with purification from sin and death of their old life. If... uh, July 14th is our next baptism, okay? If you've never been baptized, if you've never been immersed, you can identify with Jesus. This is what the early church did. They just said, I know how I used to be, and then I came to Jesus, I gave my life to him, and I'm no longer going to be that person anymore. God's going to make me new. I'm going to get new starts. If you were here for the last baptisms here, there were so many great new starts. I wish I could tell you the story of so many of those people. Maybe they can tell you the story in particular. But there was literally, they had this life. It was their old life. They wanted to identify with Jesus that Jesus has taken them from that old life. And when they went under the baptism waters, they were identifying with Jesus that he would take their old life to death. And that when they were under the water, there would be this moment where restoration and surrender, like there's nothing you can do. And then we lift them out of the water to be identified with participation in this new life of the community, of those who believe. They're going to live their life different. This baptism was this example that now they're going to live different than they used to live. And they're coming out, it's a new life, they're washed clean. And then ultimately it really was just to identify with Jesus in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection. Was the resurrection important to the early church? Oh my word, it was part of the story. Uh, it was the story. It was what Jesus does. He takes what you have, which is sin, he takes it to death, he washes it away because of his death, and he raises you to new life. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is past, the new has come. I'm going to ask the praise band to come, they're going to close out. So what we had was this eyewitness to a dead Messiah, this eyewitness to the empty tomb, these eyewitnesses to this living Lord. And now we have these eyewitnesses to the Jesus way. It starts out by being on this particular day, 3,000 people who give their life to Christ. Now, I want to say 3,000 men who give their life to Christ because this is happening right there in the temple. And women weren't allowed in the temple. So like who knows how many people are giving their life to Jesus on this particular day. Here's how chapter 2 ends. I just want you to get a picture of kind of like what this looks like to the early, what's now going to be referred to as church. Church was actually a secular word that got um, put put over or applied. Church just meant the community. Uh, Church just meant your gathering community. So now this church of Christ became this church of those who believed 
in Jesus, here's what it says about them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Understand that the word apostle, whoops, uh, the, the word apostle means the disciples, okay? But it's not limited to the disciples. In fact, over and over in Acts, uh, people like um, Barnabas were called an apostle, and other people were called an apostle. Apostle just comes from the Greek word apostolos, which just means one who's been sent with a duty. Okay? So there were lots of apostles. Not every disciple is an apostle. They haven't received kind of this specific assignment from God, this specific anointing, but every apostle is a disciple. So um, here they are. The apostles are now teaching. And see, there's this whole movement that says once the, uh, the 12 were dead, then miracles stopped. I just want you to know that's a lie from the pit, okay? Jesus is active in 2015 in very apostolic kind of ways. He uses people who are sent by him, people like Angie Chrisman, okay, who God says, I want you to take on five, five compassion kids. You're a follower of me. Here's what I would like you to do. Take on five compassion kids. She does, Okay. I believe that I have been sent by God to be a pastor. This isn't just like a, the only job I could find in Adrian. <laughs> like, I really believe it. I believe that God has something he desires to say through me and that I have been sent here by God. I have a, an, apost- an, an apostolic kind of anointing, a, a job to do. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread. Now, this particular one is this kind of the breaking of bread. It was referred to as the communion or the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread. They got together and they celebrated the breaking of bread. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread. Notice there's no the in front of this breaking bread. This is the common meal. They shared this common meal from day to day. But what they did on a regular basis was they had communion together. They broke bread together in their, in their homes, from home to home, day to day. But they got together after the Sabbath on Saturday night. And records, the best records show that right around midnight, they would do the Lord's Supper together. They'd have dinner together. They'd get to know each other. They would talk to each other. They would find out what's going on. They would have this sharing of the teaching of Jesus that the apostles could say because they were eyewitness, uh, eyewitnesses of this. And then around midnight, they would have the Lord's Supper. That's what we're, going to about, we're about to do together as a closing today. We're going to just have the, the Lord's Supper. We're going to have communion together. Why would they do that? Well, first let me point out, and the Lord added to their number day by day by day those who were being saved. This thing was just continuing and continuing and continuing. Why did the eyewitnesses break bread together in the temple and in their homes? To be identified together with the followers of Jesus in the eating of a common meal. They just wanted to get together. They just knew that people who loved Jesus, they wanted to be next to him. Another reason is to be identified together with those celebrating the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Jesus. They just wanted to get together to remember Jesus. Now, that would have been cool because maybe some of the people in the room were actually like the ones who slept next to Jesus when he was on the road. And it would have been really cool to have those people. But you know what? It's really cool that I get to have the Lord's Supper with some of you because I see what God's doing in your life. And when you testify about what God's doing in your life, 
it strengthens my faith and helps me to understand too. To be identified with Jesus, sacrifice for them in his broken body and in his shed blood. That's what we're about to do. Identify with this. But I want you to understand that for the breaking of bread in the early church, this happened on Sunday morning. Why is that important? What happened on Sunday morning? He rose. Like, they wanted to be sure that you connected the death of Jesus on the cross, the brokenness of his body, the forgiveness of sin through his blood with the resurrection that happens on Sunday morning. First day of the week. Was this just a Messiah movement? This was a resurrection movement. And when we celebrate the two ordinances of the church, which are baptism and the Lord's Supper, they're both meant to help us understand that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. And to identify with that. So whatever it is that you, Cliff early on said, whatever chain has you, all right? Um, those children that are on the table in the back um, wanting to be sponsored, there's, there's a chain of poverty that's on them. Uh, some of you, it could be an addiction or it could be a relationship. Whatever those chains are, understand that Jesus uh, came, died to take those chains to the grave and to rise victorious over those chains. And he gives us that example in our lives. It wouldn't have been amazing to be there at Pentecost and see all that happening. Like, I think it would just would have been like crazy um, to just see God at work. But I just want you to know that um, you are at Pentecost, okay? Like I look out and I see some of you and I, I know that God is at work in your life. Like this same Jesus has the same kind of miracle working power. Now, um, I'm going to say this quick so you don't have to sit down. So you're, you'll be tempted to sit down. Okay? So uh, I love it when people can't shut up about something. This is literally what uh, Acts 3 through Acts 8, actually all of Acts, is. It's people who recognize that Jesus holds the power to change your life, to resurrect you from the dead. And um, so you have Peter and John going into the temple. This, this guy who's there, who's been lame for 40 years, laying by the temple gate. Um, and he cries out and says, Alms for the poor. And Peter says to him, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I'll give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Lame person, person who can never walk. Rise up and walk. And he rises up and he walks. And he runs around. He runs around the temple. And everyone says, What? That's the guy who lays by the temple. Either he's been faking it, one, or he just got healed, one. One to one chance, right? What's the chance he's going to walk? You know, like a million to one? No, one to one. All you need is to understand that Jesus produces miracles. Like, and so, so then uh, they grab Peter and John. That's this next part. Peter speaks in Solomon's portico. And they say, tell us what's going on. And he says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we've made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, who you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong who you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect help in the presence of you all. That's just chapter 3. So then, 
In chapter, in chapter 4, they grab Peter and John and they put him before the religious leaders. And they say, you got to shut up about this Jesus. That's what they say to him. They were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. But many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. What? Like, wait for tomorrow. Like, wait till you see what happens tomorrow. So they say to him, uh, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people, because they said, uh, you got to quit talking about Jesus. And they said, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, who God raised from the dead, and by him that this man is standing before you well, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which have become the cornerstone, and there is salvation and no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved like they had this boldness that no one could explain they're standing in front of like if only uh, only a couple of us here would have just a little bit of boldness again like you either believe in this jesus or you don't believe in him one or one you either decide that you're going to do something about the poverty in the world or you decide you're not going to do. You either decide that you're going to talk to somebody at your workplace, at your school, or you decide you're not going to. But the, 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 the ratio is not a million to one. It's one to one, and it really is on you. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We can't shut them up. Now, Lord, uh, the believers gather together, and this is their prayer. Now, Lord, look upon the threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with a boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And by the end of chapter 4, the full number of those who believed were one uh, of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and bought the proceeds and gave and distributed to anyone who had need. So um, chapter 5 has a couple of really interesting stories. But then it says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's portico. None of them, none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women. I don't know that you... Like, what's after 5,000? Multitudes. <laughs> the people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Oh, my word. Lord, send a Pentecost among us. So then the apostles are arrested, and they stand before the high priest. Except it says that during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to preach. So then they go and look for them and they say, hey, where are the guys? They're supposed to be arrested under house arrest. And they're like, I don't know where they are. We've been here all night. Somehow they got out 
And then somebody comes and says to them, they're doing it again. (laughs) They're out there in the temple and they're preaching again. To which they say, quit it. And to which Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, who you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who God has given to those who obey him. And when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching, preaching Jesus the Christ. Well, that's the end of the story. No, actually, it's not the end of the story, okay? Because what happens is uh, Stephen, in chapter 7, gets seized. He's one of the, one of the, uh, one of the apostles who, um, who's uh, serving the people in the church. He gets grabbed. He says this long speech. At the end of the speech, he calls those who are gathered there, who he's standing before, you stiff-necked people. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your father did. And when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and pushed together, rushed together, and they stoned him. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Oh, there's so many things that are happening around them and the church is happening. And finally, we read in Acts chapter 8. I know y'all want to go. Um, in Acts chapter 8, this is, a, this is a preview of next week, okay? So what do you do? What do you do if you have so many eyewitnesses? Well, Satan thinks the good idea is to have one of the guys who was in charge of watching the coats. He was more or less the captain of those who stoned Stephen. His name is Saul at this site. And it says that Saul leaves there, and Saul was one of the witnesses of Stephen. He completely agreed with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. The greatest terrorist of the Christian church was this guy, Saul. Oh, wait till next week till you find out what happens to Saul. How does Jesus demonstrate his power? He takes out the greatest terrorist, but not the way you think. Jesus, help us um, to understand that you are a living Lord in this day. Lord, I know there are people here who have physical miracles that they need. Lord, I pray that we would have the kind of expectancy that that early church had. Lord, I recognize there are people here who are in desperate financial need, while some of us who are gathered here have plenty and some to spare. Lord, give us a vision of what the church might look like, a church that cares for people across the world, a church that cares for the people in their community. 
Lord, give us a heart for those relationships that we see that are broken within this church. Help us to step toward them. Lord, help us to use Facebook in a positive way. Lord, help us to use our cell phones in a positive way. Lord, help us to stand for the things that matter in this world, to stand up for you as the one who holds all power, dominion, and authority, who can take anyone's sin and forgive it and give them new life in this very day. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you right now are seated at the right hand of the throne of God, that you were an acceptable sacrifice for our sin, and that we can call on the name of the Lord and we can be saved, whatever it is that we're going through. Lord, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for this time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ogden Church, feel free to visit our website at www.ogdenchurch.org.